Uh, we begin a new series today. Guess what it's called? Anybody? Okay, y'all very reluctant. All right, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is our new series today, and I want to let you know it's, it's going to help you. I'm going to let you know out the gate, it's going to encourage you and equip you. You know, part of our vision as a church, we call it Reaching People and Building Lives. This series, this message is going to help build your life. It's going to help build your life in the direction and the calling and the purposes God has for you. And so I want to set the stage before we dive into Nehemiah, all right? I'm not going to ask you how many of you have heard of Nehemiah or were even aware that there was a book in your Bible called Nehemiah. But I do want to ask you this. Do, do any of you have in your life places that are broken? Are any of you in need of restoration? Have you a relationship thing have you a behavioral thing? Have you a past thing that the consequences are still reaping havoc in your life? The truth is, you don't have to confess or admit that to me. That's really between you and the Lord. But I believe that each one of us, part of our fabric is that we have places that are broken. Some of us can cover it pretty well. Some of us can gloss over it pretty well, but by and large, all of us, part of the thing that unifies us is that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Each one of us is in need of his mercy and his healing and his restoration, his restoring quality. Maybe you're new to faith, and maybe you're just so grateful that God has saved you. Come on, that's a good thing to be grateful for. Amen? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Let's never, let's make a vow. We're going to never forget that line in and over our life. Amen? But one of the building blocks of our faith, and here's a trust me, if you're new to the faith, here's where it really gets good, is that God's word over you, a song, if you will, that he sings over your life. He doesn't just save you, pat you on the back and kind of shove you out into the waters of life and say, hey, I'll see you, you know, 30, 40, 50, 70 years when, when you reach the other side. No, he begins to take the broken places of our life. He begins to take the biggest mistakes of our life. He begins to take territory of our life that honestly, up front, we didn't want to show him or reveal to him. And he comes to mend. And he comes to bring healing. And he comes to bring restoration. And that sometimes is as simple as something in, in a marriage or in a family. And other times it's far deeper. There was a dream that had died. There was a vision that we were burning with, that we were passionate about, that we were excited about. But over the years, disappointment, distraction, and defeat just kind of got in the way, and we pushed it to the side. Nehemiah, this series, I believe, is going to breathe fresh hope, fresh life, and really maybe rise up from the ashes into all that God has called for you and I to connect. You're like... We get that all from Nehemiah? 
You get that all from Nehemiah, all right, as well as some other fun things. But today, we kick off, we begin this series. Uh, right now, it's, it's time to be about six weeks as we, not chapter by chapter, but, but moment by moment, walk through this story. I'd love to invite you, if you have your phone, perhaps you have the Bible app, you can download that free whenever you like, and you can turn to Nehemiah. We're going to be in the first chapter. We're going to spend time with just, a, just four verses, but I think it's really going to jumpstart a direction in this series. But here's, here's what I realized. With Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and much of the New Testament, we can jump in. Come on, it's, it's Scripture. We could just dive in because there's a whole lot of Jesus. Nehemiah's before Jesus. In fact, Nehemiah ends in a bit of a mess. And what it showed us is our renewed hope, our desire, our, our mind for the Messiah to come. Nehemiah needs a little bit of a backstory. Nehemiah kind of needs us to go a few centuries beforehand so we can get a little context. Else, you could read Nehemiah and be like, I don't see the big deal. So what? A wall's broken down. That happens all the time. And you may not be up to speed with the power and the history of this story. So I did you a favor, all right? I know my historical tendencies. My wife makes me very well aware. And, and I could spend 90 minutes talking about just the history of this book. But come on, rupturous applause. I'm not about to do that, somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay, I will do that. I can change direction real fast. Now, I tease. But I do want to provide some context. We are hearing from the story of Israel. And as Christ followers, we are not only invited, their story is our story. We were grafted into the story of Israel. In fact, all the nations of the world, all the ethnicities of the world, all of us were, were grafted in through the Messiah. So we, we find Nehemiah comes to us with truth, with a revelation, but we can't just dive in, like I said, else we'll be a little out of context. So I want to set the stage for just a couple minutes, I promise, just for a couple minutes here, and you may find some words familiar. So let's dive in. I've got seven words to help us out. Some of you got nervous. They're not Hebrew words. We're not going Greek. Just seven words you may be vaguely familiar with. And my starting point is Genesis 12 with the name Abraham. Come on. You familiar with Father Abraham? Father Abraham is the father of our faith. And the story comes to us in about 2165 B.C., before Christ. God calls Abraham and says, listen, from you and Sarah, from her womb, we will raise up. I will bring forth a nation that will be a blessing for all of human history. Out of you and your wife, Sarah, I'm coming to you and I'm calling forth a nation. And that is the birthing, if you will, of the nation of Israel, the Israelites, God's chosen people. We're going to fast forward here. We've got Abraham. 
He has Isaac, we have Jacob, and then we have one called Joseph. All right, Joseph from prison, right, to praise. You know the story. Maybe you're vaguely familiar. Joseph is on the scene, and Joseph becomes Pharaoh's right hand. Well, the people of Israel grow and grow and grow. They multiply, they multiply, they multiply, and they are in Egypt for 400 years. For 400 years, they are in Egypt. They become slaves. They become indentured servants. Scripture actually says there became a Pharaoh who knew nothing of the story of Joseph. And so these Israelites who were growing up in a foreign nation, they became slaves. No rest, no work. They were indentured servants. What Pharaoh said, Pharaoh got. And they helped build the empire of Egypt. Well, they remembered the covenant God made with Abraham. And so they went back and they prayed and they still sought the Lord. Even though they were in a foreign land, they cried out for a deliverer. And God heard their cry. Scripture says God heard their cry and sent them a deliverer who we know as Moses. So Moses comes on the scene and he is most famously known for what's called the Exodus. You can watch it on Disney Plus. Prince of Egypt, you're welcome. All right? And so Moses establishes the worship to Yahweh. He leads, he delivers them out of slavery, out of Egypt, brings them into the desert. It was only supposed to be an 11-day journey, somebody, but it took 40 years. Some of you wives are like, I don't know about that. Amen. But here's the thing. They did not trust God wholeheartedly. They did not yield their ways to him, but they got stuck in a wilderness season. Sometimes life can feel very much like a wilderness season. But God, in his faithfulness and with his steady hand, he led them from Egypt into the promised land. Established them as a nation. Established them as a people. And they began to live in what the, the word calls the land of milk and honey. It's the place of promise. It's where you and I have been called to live as followers of Christ. God calls us to live in a relationship with him. That we would call the promised land. Doesn't mean there's not disappointment. Doesn't mean there's difficulties. Doesn't mean there aren't trials and tribulations. But the beautiful thing is, it is even in spite of those, a place of thriving and a place of life. So they're in this promised land. But as humanity goes and as they go, they look to their right and they look to the left. They begin trading with some people they shouldn't be trading with. In one famous moment, David's son, King Solomon, you may have heard of him, he was wise in his early years and stupid in his later years. You know, you just got to call it what it is. And in Scripture accounts, trust me, I'm moving quickly here. You may not feel like it, but if you've studied this portion, I'm moving fast. So Solomon begins to marry with neighboring countries, and here's what happens. The idols... The false gods are brought into Israel, into the promised land. The people often like what they can touch and what they can see with their eyes. And God built a relationship with a nation on trust and faith. And they forsook their relationship with God and they started worshiping 
and serving idols. And out of their own rebellion, out of their own disobedience to God and to His ways, God does what He does with all of us. He lets us choose. They began a lifestyle and a generational cycle of sin and brokenness. And this culminated in about 598 B.C., all the way to about 536 B.C., decades upon decades of a word we know as exile. Delivered from Egypt, crossing the difficulty of the wilderness, a city on a hill inhabiting the promised land. Despite that relationship, despite the love and the knowledge being close to God's presence set up in the temple of Jerusalem, Despite God's bountiful blessing on their life, they were tempted and tried and they took the other idols. They brought those in. And what happens when you don't trust God and you live to your own ways? You get what the idols give you. And so they experienced really the second greatest empire at the time. The Babylonians came in broke down the walls of Jerusalem. They crushed the temple, desecrated the temple, and they took, not millions, but thousands of Israelites, trekked them all the way across to what we know as modern-day Iraq now, to live in Babylon. Familiar with Daniel, the story of Daniel, right? Daniel is someone who came up out of exile. Now, he just happened to be really smart, and the Spirit of the Lord was on him. Two good things to have going for you. And so he landed up actually being in the court, serving in the court, but many did not. And so in this period of exile, about 50 years in, right around, I think it was 536 B.C., King Cyrus generously allows for not only the Jews, but other captives they have from other regions, he actually allows historical documents outside of the Bible showcases. He actually allows for them to return from whence they were conquered and brought to. And so Israel, some of these people, they move all the way from Babylon back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. That's where, dramatic pause, you and I, have the books. They're meant to go together, Ezra, Nehemiah. In fact, for most of history, it's been Ezra, Nehemiah. And it's a three-part play, if you will. You get Ezra part one, Ezra part two, and then you get the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes to us in chapter one, verses one through four. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, the cousin of Wanahakalugi. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. These are people Nehemiah cares for. These are his brothers and sisters. He is a Jew serving in the courts of a pagan. He's a cupbearer to the king. 
It's not just a simpleton place, but it's actually a place of a little prestige and political influence. He's ordained, set apart, designated by God for such a time as this. And so Nehemiah notices, man, one of my brethren is here. I'm going to ask him. They did not have Facebook, right? They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have fast line of communication. Communication was far slower. There was no way of turning on the 6.30 evening news. I mean, there was no way of keeping up to speed other than firsthand communication or a letter that had been sent. And so this is a big moment. This is, this is a big moment. And here, here they come. And so he asks, he says, hey, could you tell me? I imagine quite casually he has expectations of what has been happening with the remnant that has returned. And so he says, hey, could you just update me? What's the 411? Tell me, fill in the blanks. I got some questions. How are things going? Is, is the temple being worshipped in? Is Yahweh's presence filling the city? Is trade happening? Is the city flourishing? Is it thriving? Are things going well? You know, Nehemiah is kind of, you know, he's one of those positive preachers, okay? So he's, he's excited and he's, and, he, and he's wanting to know. And here's what's reported Verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed. Before the God of heaven. Shattered expectations. Broken vision. For 50 years, Israel has been trying to make sense with what has happened. God sets Israel apart. He establishes law and society for the whole nation. You can read about what's called the covenantal love of God upon generation upon generation in the book of Exodus. In in one dramatic portion of Scripture, God, well, Scripture declares the relationship between God and Israel as a young mother with her baby to her breast. Feeding, nourishing, leading the child, growing it, raising it. This wasn't just God haphazardly. This was Israel choosing another. Desperate times. And Nehemiah is hoping for any ounce of hope. God, tell me something good is happening. And not only is it a bad report, it's the worst kind of report. Jerusalem's broken. Things are torn down. You know what I find interesting about Nehemiah? It's his reaction. We're going to talk a little bit about Nehemiah's reaction. Because in the position he is in, he could have played dumb. In the position he is in, life is good. As my mom would say in her British accent, Paul, his bum was in butter. Which is code for he had everything easy. Things were going for him. Why enter the pain? Why create difficulty? 
isn't it sometimes easier just to avoid? Isn't it sometimes easier just to play dumb? Or how about this, just to play fake and deny that anything is even happening? But verse 4 speaks to us such truth and such depth. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I first thought Nehemiah embraced reality. Nehemiah embraced reality. Some of you sitting here, you've embraced reality. You know how difficult of a door that was to open. But you are so grateful for truth tellers and for God's grace in your life. See, a broken wall is not just in the physical. It's a symbolic wink to you and to me about the broken walls of our life. Some of you know the sting of a spouse looking you in the eye and just saying, I don't think this is going to work. I don't, I don't know if we can come back from this. Some of you know what it's like to have a, have, a, have a boss bring you in and sit you down and say, your numbers are great, your work ethic is great, but this addiction you have is going to kill you. It's a broken wall. And you had a choice in that moment. You could look and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And your boss, in good measure, would say, I was wrong. Blessings to you. And then as you leave, they get down on their knees and they pray that someone, somewhere, would touch your heart to recognize a wall is broken. For others of us, it comes in all sorts of simple ways. It may not be a dramatic, right? The walls may not be in fire, but there's a brick. And it came down, and there's some crumbling. There's some things falling apart, and God's whispering to you, don't, don't let it go. Hold the line. Don't turn away. Don't move on to something else. Embrace the reality. The consequences are bigger than they appear right now. Nehemiah, things were going so well. Six-figure salary plus seven-figure. I don't know. He had it going really good. Why enter? Why go there? Why not just, I don't know what you're talking about. My spouse said, what? He don't know. She don't know. We good. Everything's good. Life is good. It's all good. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. Right? Familiar with the Truman Show? Check it out. We just, we just live in fake. We just, just no, no, nothing. What do you mean something's wrong? There's nothing wrong. We avoid. We deny. The healthiest thing we can do is embrace the reality. 
sometimes in church world, sometimes in Christianity or our, our spiritual life with God, we carry shame, we carry doubt because we think, man, nobody else has a broken wall. Not me. All is good here. The reality is all of us have had are in or need to call, keep our guard up because broken walls are a part of life. Sometimes it isn't because of your smashing. Sometimes it's the punch of the enemy or the evil one working through somebody else. And they came in out of nowhere, Miley Cyrus style. I came in like a wrecking ball. Note to self, less coffee next week. But, man, the way, we, way life just comes and it just sweeps you off your feet. And God's saying, could this be the end of the rope? No, nothing wrong here, Lord. Everything's good. And Nehemiah had lots of options, but he chose to embrace the reality that his brother's and sisters, we're in it. Maybe personal. God may be just crying to your heart saying, look at the wall, Paul. Or he may be stirring your heart with something on the fringes with the marginalized of society. Ministries are birthed when somebody recognizes that a wall has been broken. It needs rebuilding. I think of Choices for women in organization locally here in this region. Just one of many tremendous organizations. And Rose will tell you, she may not remember the exact minute or the moment, but she'll tell you about the season of life that God showed her the walls were broken. That there were young women and men all over this region who were in cycles of life, and they needed life coaching. They needed somebody to tell them, man, carry the baby, it's worth it. They need people praying and teaching them, and not just spiritualizing it, but loving them with the mercy of God and removing the cloak of shame over their life. She'll tell you there was a broken wall, and I couldn't look away. Some of you, the way you care, for people, and you, you try to get other people passionate about it, they're like, why is it burning? Why is it stirring? Because God is calling you up. He's calling you forward. So, man, just embrace the reality. Don't just flip past the article or the tweet or the message. You were meant to see that video. It was meant to break your heart. And God's asking, could you embrace the reality? I don't know what that is. I'm just proposing maybe in and over your life. There's, there's something you, man, you got distracted. You, you like Nehemiah. You took another glass of wine. You grabbed some crackers and with the cheese and you'd maybe been putting it off. But then Hanani, strange name, shows up and says, man, what, what are you going to do about this? We have families in our church and they, 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 they foster Children, they, they, they operate in the foster care. We'll leave it for privacy matters, but it's remarkable. They reached a place where, man, the heart, they just couldn't take it. They, they, they kept seeing the wall. You know how God does. He sends people out of nowhere through the drive through through a bumper sticker, through a radio ad, through an online ad. I don't know. However, a letter in the mailbox, for goodness sake, could show up and, 
You don't know why, but on that day, you picked, the, you picked your mail, not your spouse. And it was right on top there, and something happened. Can I tell you, answer the call of God. Embrace the reality. Embrace the reality. Nehemiah, he didn't turn to the left. He didn't turn to the right. He stepped in. Sometimes I have here, I believe we put this in the notes, but the most needed statement in our lives is this blank. <laughs> it's not a cuss word, all right? It's not, but this blank has broken down the walls. It could be an area, man. You got to build them up. Don't, don't be slack, man. Don't let that internet, don't let those sites, don't be getting addicted to watching those things. Man, give it up. Break it up. It's a wall. You don't want to tear it down. And so it's, it's stirring. We know, man, I know what my wall is. Others, it may not be a sin cycle or a life issue. It may just be a passion that God is sending across your path. And he's saying, hey, step in. May not even be a life call. It just be for a season. I remember pastoring, and when, when we were in Florida, there was a season of life that I volunteered and assisted in the foster care system as a guardian at Lightham. And I remember, man, it was just prompted on my heart, tried to, you know, you know, as pastors, tried to not listen to God for a season. Just, are you sure, Lord? Let me pray. Let me fast. Let me pray. Let me fast. Those are called holy, divine delays, okay? There's nothing holy or divine about them. It's just the flesh. But you're like, let me pray. Let me fast. And God, God kept bringing it up. Maybe something like that for you. God's, God's saying, man, let's, let's embrace this reality. For Nehemiah, for Nehemiah, it's the broken down walls. Why would God call a cupbearer whose life was comfortable and things were convenient? And easy. I don't know. But somehow God saw something in and on him. And the same is true for you. You may have such a dream or such a purpose, such a passion, you don't even know where to start. Don't worry about it. Embrace the reality. Embrace the reality. And the second part is grieve. Aren't you so glad you came to church today, somebody? <laughs> but I mean this. We don't swing from chapter 1 to chapter 2 to chapter 3 to chapter 4 without Nehemiah grieved. Grieving is an important process of restoration. Grieving is an important part of redemption. Grieving is an important part of the restoring God is wanting to do in our lives. It's not asking you to put on a front. It's not asking you to be fake. It's not asking you to kind of paint, paint over those areas of your life. Part of the process is he's asking you to grieve. For some of us, when the wall is broken, I remember I reached a, I reached a place with this guardian light. I just had to do something. I didn't know how or when. I just stepped in and just did it. Because the thought of what some of these children were facing and walking through, it broke my heart. No, honestly, without a judgmental or accusatory finger to the parents, irrespective of that, I just long to see peace 
in these children's lives. That was a little bit of a wall God was doing in, in my life. But can I tell you, it had to reach a point of grieving, of tears. There's some doors that are only opened in our life through tears. There's some seasons that we only move into through tears. Psalm 56 verse 8, it says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Verse 4 of Nehemiah, what was his first response? What was it? What was it? When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Do you allow your heart to be moved or grieved? I don't want to answer that, so I'm asking you. (laughs) No, I'm playing. We live in the most distracted society ever. We live in an entertainment culture where literally anything we want, anything we could desire to watch, we can watch in an instant. Part of our spiritual journey is allowing our heart to break for the people and the places God is calling for us to make a difference. There may be some things that touch your heart, and you come to tell me, and I'm like, well, how about that? Don't be offended. Know that God isn't looking for you to put this on someone else. He's wanting grief, that good grief, to be part of the story in your life. Can I tell you, grief is such a holy, holy experience. I remember ministering in Florida, and one of um, our good friends, he had come through the church through a Celebrate, uh, celebrate Recovery uh, ministry. Tremendous, tremendous guy. God did so much restoration and, and redemption in his life. But he shared with me, you know, one of the keys, one of the critical things is to embrace your reality, to recognize for him he was an alcoholic, to recognize, man, I, I am addicted. I have really good intentions of changing. I have really good intentions of shifting. But he'll say, man, I, I had to know my wall was broken. I had to know I was at the end of the rope. And God brought him in and God called him in. And so part of the problem, it feels uncomfortable. I once heard somebody say, you know why there's no grieving worship songs? Because they don't sell in America. (laughs) I thought that was funny. I guess it's not. Okay, but that was just, it just startled me. I was like, that's so true. That's so true. But can I tell you, part of our relationship with God is not faking it before our Heavenly Father, but letting him know, man, I, I am sorry. I'm seeing the consequences of this, and I just need a moment to grieve. You know what? God meets you in that moment. God meets you in the broken places. Grieving gives birth to new life. Grieving gives birth. It becomes part of of your story, part of your journey. And a friend 
again, would share in, 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 in Florida and, and some of the difficulties, some of the broken relation, broken marriage, broken relationships with his kids. He allowed the pain to penetrate his heart. And from that broken space and a humble heart, you would be in awe of what God did. He didn't fake it. He didn't smile. He didn't put on his church shirt, get his, you know, I'm good. Things are good. Worship, worship, love it. Yes. No, he got real. Sorry, I saw High School Musical yesterday, and uh, I'm grieving. <laughs> so, grieving, it allows the Word of God and the words of God to stir a passion in our heart. I think of, I, 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 could, I could get distracted with so many different stories. If you're unfamiliar with Christine Kane, one of the best preachers in human history, I would say, Christine Kane. She's an Aussie from Hillsong, Australia, but she will share her story. She became the face and leading of an organization called the A21 Campaign. And they are committed to ending and abolishing sex trafficking across the globe. You know there was a moment, well, she'll share it in an Australian accent. And you know there's a moment she could just be like, no, keep that away. I'm going to pray for that. And God just began to pull her a little closer, a little closer, a little closer to see what these young ladies and young children were experiencing across the globe, on the other side of the nation, not only nation, but the world for it. Why does God do that to us? Because it's how he gets in to the darkest places of the world. He's not going to always look to somebody else. He's going to look to you. He's going to begin to break your heart. And you, you can't just avoid it. You have to, it's almost like, man, you've got to walk through that fire of grief. But somehow as you walk through that fire of grief, there's some things that are like burned off you. And you can breathe a little lighter. Your faith and your trust level with God just became a little stronger. And you can step into his calling and his purpose over your life. Sometimes men, women. Young adults, for some of you, your consequences of your life are already catching up. We're going to talk next week. Come back. <laughs> We're going to talk next week about how to turn the corner of that. We're going to build upon this week in the message, but it's so important we allow ourselves, man, just to grieve. Sometimes, sometimes we move quickly, we move too fast. For those of you who enjoy the Psalms. I love the Psalms. This was the Jewish prayer book. 66%, two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. They're just grief. Jeremiah, one of my favorite prophets in the Old Testament, <laughs> he was called the weeping prophet. I mean, whew, drama queen. I mean, everything. It's breaking this guy's heart. But can I tell you? He's a gift to the church. He's a gift to Christianity because he shows 
embracing reality, grieving, can give birth to new life in Christ. God's not asking you today to just forget about your broken walls. Hey, you know what? Let's, let's forget about the broken spaces. No, I believe in this series. He's going to equip you and encourage you to move forward. The final thing I want to touch on today as we close is Nehemiah worshipped. Before he put a brick on the wall, before he requested anything from King Cyrus, before he tried to get a team together, before he tried to fix anything, he mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He worshipped. You may not realize it right now. Most of my message may have not touched your heart. I'm well aware. But the best thing you've done, you put your butt in a seat today. You may not have known one of the chords or notes or songs that were played. You worshipped. You said, man, I didn't lift my hands that good. I didn't, come to think of it, I, I didn't even sing. I was distracted the whole time. God sees your heart. He sees the intention of your heart. And before there's anything we do physically, there's something we do internally. And I applaud your intentionality today. You come, and what happens with all the brokenness, with all the difficulties, with all the baggage of life? You sit. I want to encourage you. It's an act, it's a moment of worship before God. It's a sacrifice. Different story for a different series on another season of life. God always is attracted to sacrifice. Of our time, of our treasure, of our day. God always promises us to meet us in the moment. I've got one Step for you today. Define your broken wall. Define your broken wall. Not 30 walls. Not 3,000 walls. Not other people's walls. Come on. Ask the Holy Spirit, what's my wall? What's my wall? What's my wall? What, what area, God? What area? Nothing's off limits, God. Nothing's off limits. I'm tired of living off limits. Where is the wall? Show me. Then allow yourself to feel the weight of that wall. Grieve. Let it touch your heart. Because from that place, God gives birth to the new thing in and over your life. Trust me, you're not here by accident. I don't mean just here. You've been designed, coordinated by God for southern Indiana, Louisville, the surrounding regions for such a time as this. He is wanting us to restore the broken walls in our region that have been broken down through 
addictions, through fears, through religious pretense. He's wanting us to step in and show the heart of mercy and show the hope of Jesus and show the uh, generosity of heaven to the least of these. My prayer is that in this season of life, God would raise us up, that he would give us the strength, he would give us the courage, and he would begin to restore the places in our soul and in our lives. And we'll be so grateful that he did. Nehemiah, in the coming weeks, he's going to show us the way. Nehemiah had some hang-ups, he had some hiccups, he had some obstacles, somebody. Could you believe this? But Nehemiah actually had people in his life that did not applaud his decisions to follow God. The audacity of our enemies. It never changes, does it? That critical spirit, that critical person. Come on, we're going to grow, we're going to learn, and we're going to step into all that God has for us. Amen?